0: Welcome, welcome everyone to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Shout out to any new listeners who are joining us for the very first time. We're happy to have you on board. For those of you who have been here from the start, you already know the drill. We live and die by this team just like the rest of you, and we make no apologies for that. I'm your host, Jason Kelly, coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. If you want to find us on Twitter, you can find the podcast account at bastards underscore boston joining me on the show tonight from rutting pennsylvania is micah storms micah how are we doing
1: i'm doing well jason it was kind of a roller coaster of a day um i personally didn't didn't expect uh thursday september 14th to really be a, a, a monumental day in red sox um, nation, but it certainly was. And I was at work and when it happened, so I don't really check my phone when I teach too much. So I, it came across as like a notification that bloom was fired and I'm like, damn, I can't do anything further than this because I can't be on my phone because we're not supposed to. So I, I respect that rule, but I was like, man, I just, there's so much I have to know, and I couldn't know till like two and a half, three hours later, and it was driving me nuts. I was like, "Let's get this day on," because I just there was so much information that I was, I needed to know. So, uh, but a, but a wild day nonetheless.
0: Yeah, quite a bombshell dropped on Red Sox Nation today for sure. Also joining us on the show from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Windham, Maine, is Terry Cushman. Terry, I'd ask you how you're doing, but I'm guessing you're still beaming from ear to ear. So I think we all know the answer to that.
2: This should be a New England holiday. Uh, I think I said it uh, previously on the last show. I I was on the YouTube channel as well, which everybody should check out if you haven't. But um, the two greatest days in the history of this podcast are the day we won the World Series in 2018 and today today's number two i would say and i just i told you guys i said i didn't like haim anyway but the path to a championship is going to be quicker with somebody else and so i'm just glad that that step that hurdle has been you know crossed and uh We'll uh, we'll have a really fascinating winter now, much more so than than what we would have had if Bloom finished out the last year of his deal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We we are definitely in for a roller coaster uh, of a winter, that's for sure. Uh, Micah, I'm going to start with you because obviously you were you were at work when all this dropped. You were kind of hamstrung, couldn't be on your phone. So I want to get your reaction, just how you felt then when you saw the news, how you feel now after having a few hours to process it your whole take on, on high bloom being fired by the Boston Red Sox.
1: Yeah. So I did get a chance to listen to your kind of instant reaction. And I wanted to just because I didn't want to repeat anything you guys said, but um, Jason, I think you and I were probably pretty similar on how we, we kind of felt about bloom. I I was definitely a fan of blooms initially. I thought what he was doing was, what the organization needed in terms of you know restocking the system i thought 2020 2021 was excellent and then 22 it was like we we're, we're, we're pretty good we're in it but then the deadline he did nothing and then he basically ran back the same strategy for this year and it just didn't work i mean i i think this year it had moments but i i almost feel like it was probably more frustrating because it just seemed like this team kept The highs were high and the lows were just so low. I don't remember last year's lows being this low until after the deadline. So I think the system definitely needed to be rebuilt the way he did because you can't be 30th or even a bottom five system and expect to be competitive every single year. You can't win with the free agent market every year. You're just not going to hit every free agent and it just becomes too expensive. So I think Bloom did exactly what ownership wanted him to do which was retool Um, but where he he fell miserably was the pitching side Um, Terry you mentioned um, over the weekend you you talked about where the Red Sox were in terms of their starters ERA um, under Bloom and then the relievers ERA under Bloom and it's just you can't win with with that ERA and then you add the defense on top of that And when you have bad pitching and bad defense year after year after year after year, that's a recipe for just bad baseball and and you're not going to win with that. So this was kind of Bloom's DNA with this roster um, and this team. It it seemed like it was his philosophy just to build with, you know, projects (laughs) and it just wasn't going to work out. And um, I, I wonder all along what, it, was Bloom really hired to build a winning team, or was he hired more to just retool? Because uh, that's what he was, you know, he came from Tampa. So that's, they're good at this, the farm system, but he showed zero track record of any big time deals. Um, the story deal, as of right now, looks like a, a total bust. Um, there's still time for that deal, but that's really his biggest move was the story deal. Um, Devers fell right into his lap. I mean, I, I really do think that one had to get done. So I, there's just very little for Bloom that, to go off of. Um, I would have been, I guess, okay if they brought him back with the idea that I sure hope he would have spent in the offseason. But I definitely feel a whole lot better going into the offseason now with the idea that they, whoever comes in will probably have to pitch a plan to ownership that they will be spending this off season. And that makes me feel a lot better um, because it was kind of like, will he spend? I sure hope so. Um, but whoever comes in, there's definitely going to be um, a focus on bringing in talent, probably trading some prospects in the farm system that are kind of landlocked by other players. So whoever comes in is going to inherit a really good situation and now it's really just open uh, um, up to the Boston ownership group to to pick the right guy to get this organization, you know, moving forward. And I, I just want to see competitive baseball year after year. I'm tired of meaningless September games. I'm I'm done with that. So if if firing Bloom and hiring somebody else gives me meaning meaningful games in September, then I'm all for it. I just want to see the Sox win and uh did i drink the bloom kool-aid yeah i'll admit it i did i did i was on board um but i would say the last six weeks i've been really frustrated and uh, i think making a move i think it's the right decision 100 percent.
2: let me ask you guys this okay we got a couple of things actually but um Number one, we get two games from the World Series in 2021. And, I mean, that was a fluke. And, Jason, you covered it earlier as well. You, you called it, a, what was it, a fake ALCS run? Yep. Let's just say in either 2022 or 2023, we at least make the playoffs and, and advance around. At that point, I mean, doesn't Heim keep his job?
0: I think absolutely. Yeah, I, I think the. I said it earlier. The back-to-back last-place finishes did him in. The the August he had after the trade deadline, four years in a row, did him in. This team always was worse after the trade deadline under High and Bloom because he just didn't do enough at the major league level at the trade deadline, where every other team around him got stronger. You know, the American League every single year at the trade deadline. Every team around him got stronger, except for the Red Sox. He either stood pat or he made bad moves. And I think the combination of that and the bad finishes in consecutive years, I think absolutely did him in. I I agree. Like, if 2022, if they get into the playoffs, even if it's an early exit, I think he gets a stay of execution. Back-to-back years of just finishing in the basement, no. Can't have it. It it completely did him in.
1: Mike, Yeah, I I agree. I think twenty twenty one, I think the timeline got pushed up. I don't think no anyone really expected I don't think Heim Bloom expected that team to be as good as they were. I mean, they were the best team in baseball on July first, and they still won ninety plus games. I don't think anyone expected that. But when you perform like that, it the fan base felt like it was back after a rough 2019, a really bad 2020. And then you feel like, okay, well, you know it was two bad years. Now we're we're on the right track. And then the t- the the 21 offseason heading into 2022, he didn't do anything big. There was nothing big. And there were there were pieces out there. Kevin Gaussman was out there. I mean, I'm not saying that I necessarily said, Yeah, go out and sign Kevin Gaussman, but look at what the Blue Jays did. They went out and got him, and he's an ace. So I mean th- there were aces out there that could Where you know the Red Sox could have gotten to solve this pitching problem that has been there since day one, Um, and then not picking a side over the last two deadlines to me, that's the part that really that was kind of like the last straw. You know, last year I didn't agree with it. I thought they they could have bought, Um, but if you're going to sell Christian Vasquez and you're not going to have a catcher, then blow the whole damn thing up. And you know Bogarts. You know, Heimblum knew what he was probably going to offer Bogarts and, you know, would he try to get Ivaldi back? So if he didn't feel like he was going to realistically be able to keep those guys, then he should have moved them. And same thing this year. If you're not in, then get out and, and keep retooling the farm system. But for a guy who, you know, really, I, I think he kind of prides himself on building the farm system. He didn't go all in and maybe he wasn't allowed to but and it it doesn't matter that falls on his shoulders whether it's his fault or not you're the the chief baseball officer it's your job to to either build a winning team or restock and build the the next great Red Sox team and he chose neither of them over the last two years and not being in or out I just for the Boston Red Sox that's unacceptable it should be in But it it could have been out one year and then you're back in it the next year. And he chose neither. And to me, that to me, that's the thing that really just that cooked him.
2: Well, the reason I asked the question is because I don't buy that he was only brought in for a four year deal. That's the that's the thing that the Blumenati are championing today. That's what they're they're throwing it on ownership as, as much as they want. As I mean, at will basically, and I just feel like if Heim just did a better job, he's still he's still here. You know, I was a huge Gosman guy that whole that whole winter. Um, I was a big Trevor Story guy too. <laughs> Careful what you wish for. I kind of it's too bad I, I didn't get the Gosman wish instead, but um but I just feel like he could have kept his job, and I mean. He was up there in the in the owner's booth, you know, just hoping that somehow some way this team would find a way to win. He didn't give them what they needed, but it is what it is. Uh, Number two, and um, this absolutely floored me and Micah, you were the one who um, who pointed it out. Rob Bradford was on. I, I don't know if it was the Sports Hub or WEI today, but he said that. Bloom had a chance to trade Chris Sale last year after the bike accident when it was clear that his season was done and the inquiring team would take on the full remaining balance of his contract, which was $55 million over the next two years. And Heim said no. So, I mean, that just, I've used the word incompetent quite a bit in the last month. That speaks to that. You could get three Corey Kluber's for that almost. I'm not saying that's how he would do it, but that's probably two very serviceable uh, starting pitchers. And if you're scouting and you're, you know, your nerds in the front office were good, maybe you, maybe you pluck someone out of their system. That's that's a gem. We weren't going to get a huge return on it, but I just the stories that are coming out about Bloom's tenure and I think there's going to be more coming out uh, over over the coming days. Uh, that's just going to make you scratch your head even more. It's just absolutely insane to me. My favorite
0: part about that Bradford story is that that's now being painted as this wild conspiracy theory that the pro Bloom crowd is now saying, oh, he's making it up. That didn't happen. It's like, well, you guys said the same thing to Karabas when a week ago he dropped on his podcast that I don't think Haim's getting out of November. And they all said the same thing then. Oh, Karabas is making it up. He's just doing it for clicks on his podcast. Turns out he was right. So what? Now Rob Bradford, who's been a reporter for how long, is now, he's just going to make up a story because he, what, doesn't like Bloom or he's, what, carrying water for the organization. No, I I believe that that happened. And Terry, you've talked about this with Bloom before, that you've heard whispers that he's hesitant. You know, when it comes to making a decision, when it comes to pulling the trigger on a move, that he's been very hesitant and he sometimes just turtles and doesn't do it. This is a prime example of that. He had a chance to dump Chris Sale's remaining salary, which I don't care how much you love the guy. Look, he, you know, I don't hate him personally. He's, he's had a lot of bad luck, but... That's a smart move to dump 55 plus million and get it out of your, out of your system and use that towards something else. Use that towards pitchers that can stay on the mound and not get hurt. You would absolutely do that. Any GM would do that. So do I think that Bloom had that chance and he just hedged on it and was too hesitant and didn't pull the trigger? Yeah. I'm sorry. I believe that. I like, you know, I'm sorry to the pro Bloom people that they don't want to hear these, you know, negative stories. But look, there's a reason the guy got fired, and it's stuff like that. That's the reason. You, you just you've got to pull the trigger on a move like that.
2: Go ahead, yeah.
1: Yeah, I. I'm not saying that there, there. There's probably more to it than that, um, because I do believe Sale had. 10 5, right? So, like, I, it's more complicated than that. But I, I Bradford has not been anti Bloom like when he reports. He's he, so, like, just pushing your narrative that now Bradford has turned on Bloom, like, I just think that's ridiculous. Like, Bradford is reporting, and I think he was probably doing it out of respect. He's probably known about this, and he didn't want to say it while he was still. You know the calling the shots for the Sox because it would really make him look bad if he was still like if the fans would have found that out and he was still the general manager, I mean, there there would have been an uproar to get him out. Um, so I, I think it's absolutely true, and I mean honestly, I would have attached a prospect to Chris Sale to get out of that contract. Like, get me out of that fifty-five million dollars. Here's Blaze Jordan. I I don't care. Get me out of that contract. And, Terry, you said, you know, could they not have used that money elsewhere? Do you know that Nathan Ivaldi and Kode Sanga made $31 million this year? So, you know, I mean, I know Ivaldi's had his injury problems, but Sanga's going to finish probably top six, seven in the Cy Young in the National League. So, I mean, there's your two pitchers right there for Chris Sale's contract. And you could have gotten out of that deal, but you didn't want to pull the trigger. For what reason? Chris Sale is not Haim Bloom's, you know, he didn't sign him. So there's no attachment. And Bloom would have gotten praised and praised and praised if Chris Sale was traded and the Red Sox didn't have to fork over any money to get rid of that, to get out of that deal. It would have been, can you believe that? I mean, that's the momentum type of move that Bloom could have used. Uh, We talked about it at the deadline with Paxton. Like, he needed something to be like, "Wow, you, you, there's no way to to say he didn't win that one." But there's very few things where you could look back in the four years and say, "Yeah, that was a slam dunk by Bloom." You know, I can think of maybe one or two. The Schwarber trade—that's that's the one that comes to my mind. But other than that, it's like, how do you not jump at that opportunity? Even if Sale turns it around, no one thought Sale would pitch a hundred and. 40 50 innings like and if he did tip your cap like wow he stayed healthy but you're out of 55 million dollars you can do a lot of good with 55 million dollars
2: it's mind-boggling and we'll we'll cover you know more of it later on uh, one just other minor thing i don't know how i feel about this but it's it's thought-provoking according to chris henrique Um, who mostly covers the Worcester Woo Sox. He's credentialed um, through that organization. He said that an offer for Alex Verdugo was on the table with the Yankees for Clark Schmidt. Now, I'm not saying I love it, but perhaps with with a new coaching staff on the pitching side coming in next year, Maybe, maybe Schmidt becomes that number three starter that that we could you know desperately use. just another, and, Sh- and you didn't need Verdugo. <laughs> that's the thing. I just I, so I'm just so I'm glad I'm glad he got fired,
0: yeah, I mean, Schmidt hasn't had a horrible year, but I, in a way, that's one deal I'm glad wasn't made. I think you can use Alex Verdugo as a trade chip for something much bigger
1: you down could. the road
0: than, than Clark Schmidt. But still, it, it kind of still shows just a lack of direction. So you won't dump Chris Sale's money, and you won't trade for any other pitchers at the deadline, but you're willing to give up Alex Verdugo, who I regret he, he had an up-and-down year, but through the first half was one of your best hitters. You're willing to give him up for the Yankees, what, four or five? That's what Clark Schmidt is? That's that's weird. Like You could get a lot more for Alex Verdugo, if you're willing to attach prospects, which I don't think high bloom was willing to do. So maybe that's why they were considering it, but yeah, it's just that that was a weird report that came out too. And I just, I agree, Terry. I think you're going to hear a lot more of these, you know, uh, rumors or deals that were almost done that weren't quite done. You're going to hear a lot more of that coming out because I think most of the reporters have been pretty kind to high while he was here about, you know, maybe not, divulging those now that he's gone. I think you're going to hear, Oh yeah, he had a chance to get this guy and he didn't do it. (laughs) And we're all going to go really seriously. So I think you'll hear a lot more of that. Um, But yeah, interesting off season ahead. There are a few names being tossed out as potential candidates. Terry, I know you have a few of those on hand. What do we got so far?
2: I'll give you four and I'll weigh in as I go. And then you guys can weigh in. James Click is a name. He was, he went from Tampa to Houston, was their GM last year uh, when they won the World Series, controversially was fired. Apparently he kind of clashed with ownership over there. Jim Crane, just a name. I don't know if I want to touch anyone from Tampa at this point. Um, but he's out there. Brandon Gomes is a very interesting name out of Los Angeles. He's like the executive vice president of player development, I think. And uh, he's been in that position for four years. They've pumped out tons of talent, both you know, pitching and offensively. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, he was also a pitcher uh, with the Tampa Bay Rays earlier on. Uh, another name, uh, Chris Antonetti, who's essentially the top executive with the Cleveland Guardians. I'm not a huge fan of that because I've just... Look at their offense. They never have it. It's all pitching, no offense. I, I'm looking for balance. And then another one that's interesting, and I only saw it from one writer. It might it was either McCaffrey or... Um, who's the other athletic guy? Is it Chad Jennings, I think? Yeah. Um, Emile Sade, I think is how he pronounces it. He was with the Red Sox 2002 to 2016. He was like the lieutenant under Dombrowski for a year or two. And then he followed, um, what's his name? Their GM was also hired out of Boston. Mike, uh, Mike something. I'm terrible. Um, but... Yeah, so that's another guy that's very well respected. Um, I'd be open-minded, I think. He's got three rings. The article, whoever wrote the article said all he has to do in his interview is walk in the office, slap his three rings on the desk, and say, any more questions? (laughs) Which, you know, I I would admire that. But but anyway, um, any thoughts on them or anyone else you have your eyes on? That
0: um that last guy was it Mike Hazen that he followed Mike Hazen yes yes okay and I that, remember seeing that name yeah and so. he would
2: be great but uh, um, Arizona's like starting to like they're at the precipice where they're going to start competing they're like pumping out talent right now like next year I mean if they make the right moves this winter who's to say they don't pull the upset in that division. So, I don't yeah. think Hazen would leave, and maybe Sade is looking at it the same way. You know, I, I busted ass to try to, you know, help get this team going, and I'm just comfortable. But
0: Yeah, I think Arizona's close to really competing in, in the National League. I can't say that they're going to win the NL West anytime soon because the Dodgers are still there. That's a that's a tough mountain to climb, but all look, you need.
2: Look at the Orioles, though. That, that's, that's true. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And yeah, all you need is for the Dodgers to have one off year where maybe you know Kershaw finally retires and Walker Buehler still isn't fully healthy. They're going to lose Urias um, for whatever he's going to go off for. Um, you know, maybe Freddie Freeman starts to slow down. Maybe Mookie gets hurt, and then Arizona—they've got the pieces. They've got the young pieces, and they've been—they've shown that they're willing to spend money. They went out and paid for Lords Guriel and. You know, they've been shown to every now and then get that free agent. So I don't think Hazen's leaving of the guys that you mentioned. Brandon Gomes is the one that I would take a look at Um out in L.A. He's actually a Massachusetts guy, too. He's from Fall River.
2: I heard that. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. So he's a local guy. Got to imagine he grew up a Red Sox fan. Um, Former pitcher, obviously, like you mentioned. I like the work he's doing out there. And look, you got a sweet opening here. I mean, you've got a good foundation here in Boston. You've got a good farm system to deal with. And as long as the owners are willing to open their checkbooks and allow you to spend, then you're golden. You can spend money. You've got, you know, awesome prospects. You've got, you know, a superstar corner infielder in Rafi Devers. You've got an emerging superstar first baseman. Um, You've got Brian Bayo, who looks like he could be a future ace. If you really turn him around, which given the work that Gomes has already done, he can probably do that. And all you've got to do is go out and just spend the money or make good trades, acquire some starting pitching. The lineup is good. The lineup can score runs. So if you can just bolster the the rotation, maybe add a little bit to the bullpen, this team can absolutely contend. They're not far away. You just have to be willing to make the moves. That's why Bloom's not here. He wasn't willing to do that. Brandon Gomes, I think, could be the guy that could come in recognize the situation and say oh yeah no I, I got like three deals on the table that you know I can make and you know we'll be in an American League power next year you know you we, want we to wait two to three years I can do it now so Brandon Gomes I think is the guy that I would be the most interested in out of that list
1: yeah I'm with you Jason I'm I'm not saying I'm like 100 percent sold that he's the guy but of, of the four you mentioned he's the guy that I'm most intrigued by. You know, Friedman in L.A., he's built a machine. He's, in my opinion, he's a genius when it comes to baseball. And if you can get the guy that's essentially right underneath him, Um, he's been with the Dodgers for the last six years. So he's seen how they operate. And we know the Dodgers are notorious for turning players' careers around the pitching department. They just – they solved Ryan Brazier. So, I mean, he's around these things that happen in L.A., Um, But also he's seen the Dodgers go out and trade for Mookie Betts and give Mookie Betts the second largest contract in baseball history and go out and get Freddie Freeman. So he's been a part of the organization that's done these moves. Um, But he also, I think, too, still cares about the farm system. Like the Dodgers are constantly churning out talent. And I don't want whoever to come in to be – You know, completely just ignore the the farm system because that's how you maintain, you know, consistent winning. Because that's what the Dodgers do. They they're good because their farm system keeps giving them talent, and then they go out and they they add the key pieces and the superstars around that talent. So I I just I just want a nice blend of aggressive but also still valuing player development, Um, and I think he could be that guy. but it's going to be fascinating to watch um, something though that I did want to add is, and you guys briefly talked about it um, earlier was the fact that if Alex core is back and I think, I don't know they he didn't directly say that he was coming back as the manager of the team next year. Like he, he kind of danced around the idea, um, but he said he'd be back next year, but he didn't say as a manager, but um, I just think it's weird to, go out and hire a new CBO and then not give him the opportunity to hire a manager. I find that strange. Uh, Maybe that's what they're going to do because the, um, the ownership group just loves Alex Cora that much. But um, usually I feel like the guy who's coming in, he picks his guy. Um, And I just have a hard time believing that that would automatically be Alex Cora.
2: Well, that hasn't exactly been true because Dombrowski got stuck with Farrell for a couple of years. Um, and and then Bloom, apparently there was a heated conversation in Puerto Rico between him and Cora. And it, it, re, it was in regards to the scandal. And the one thing I'm willing to concede on is Bloom probably wanted Sam Fold in ownership force Cora on him. I do believe that, but um I got a new theory that uh, I I wasn't I was pretty scrambled earlier on that show. I, I don't think Alex Cora is going to be the the GM, but what if he's a consultant? Cuz that's an important stepping stone in, in becoming a, a top executive and and that's probably going to fit his schedule better. You know he he cited family today at least once or twice. Maybe he's going to be some type of a consultant or a, an advisor, maybe an assistant GM. But I don't think he's going to be the top executive, though. I'm I'm supremely confident in that, based on Kennedy said it's going to be a longer search, it's going to be a broader search, and there were a number of there were a number of signals that they gave that really away from Cora as far as that
0: position goes yeah I could see Cora taking a position where yeah he's not the top executive but decisions still come through him right so he he still has to sign off on any trades contracts whatever uh big decisions come through so I I could see that I because I don't think he's going to manage forever He, he said it in the past that you know that's kind of been common knowledge for a while that he doesn't want to manage for very long. He doesn't want to be a career manager. Um, I think at some point he does want to move up into the front office. So I could see that. Yeah. I could see them offering him a consultant role and, you know, whoever the new CBO is gets to choose his new manager. That's completely on the table. Yeah. I, Cause you're right. Like it, it's in general, it's not common for a, a new CBO to come in and, Oh yeah, this guy's your manager, you know, like it or not. So
2: I feel like like it was like over a decade ago, but just lately it, it just hasn't worked out. And I wanted Farrell gone so bad when Dombrowski came in and then he kept him on for 2016 and it wasn't a great year. And we got I think we got swept in the in the first round of the playoffs. And then for whatever reason, he brought him back. I'm like, what are you doing? And, and then we had like some epic PR nightmares, not so much. Well, Farrell had the Jessica Moran thing, but I, I didn't think that was big, but you had the Pedroya Machado thing. You had the Eckersley incident on the plane and, and he wasn't working well with the young kids and he got into it with Kimbrel and, um, Brad Ziegler at various points. I'm like, oh, that all could have been avoided, but but yeah I, I think I, I'm comfortable with Cora coming back if that happens but I would in a way prefer not to like I'd just rather close the book on everything and just start anew and yeah um, so yeah anyway <laughs> I could I could
0: go all night no I, I hear you, Mike any final thoughts on that
1: yeah I I just don't understand the fascination with Cora in the front office. Like, I'm not saying he can't do it, but I don't think it's a lock for him to be a guy who just easily transitions right to the front office. Um, I, I personally would not want him anywhere near being a, a, a main decision maker for the Boston Red Sox. That just seems like way too big of a jump uh, and a time when the organization needs to be very uh, precise with their their decisions coming up they can't afford to have an offseason where they hit two out of five decisions they, they really need to to have a nice string of, of big wins coming up in the offseason i just i wouldn't expect core to, to just to be that guy would i want him to maybe be a part of negotiations and maybe because he seems like he's really good with the players maybe but as a a consultant would be as far as I'd want to go with Alex Cora. But I, I kind of line up with Terry where um, I'd be fine if he comes back and manages the team next year. I really don't have a problem with that, but I'd be perfectly fine with just a whole new coaching staff and then a lot of new, you know, front office members and just kind of start from scratch.
0: Yeah. And that's, that could very well be where we're headed. Um, It's, you know, Cora's fate is not entirely sealed yet so you know there's still a decision to be made there I think but uh, without a doubt we know that there will be a new CBO in Boston at some point until then um, while that seat's still empty we figured we'd do a little bit of a bastards fantasy baseball for you on this show so uh, we're gonna give you an impact move that either or any of us would make this offseason just one player that we've all sort of identified that we would either sign, trade for, whatever the case, um, just to help turn around the Red Sox in 2024. So, Micah, I'm going to start with you. You're playing CBO for now. Who's the one guy that you will target in the 2023 offseason for the Red Sox?
1: Yeah, my guy, I have not heard anything about this. Um, I. I'd be surprised if he was available, but I think he would be available because of the circumstances of his team. And the guy that I'm thinking of is Reed Detmers of the Los Angeles angels. Um, I'm assuming that Mike Trout really could be dealt this off season. Um, so if that's the case, I just feel like they're going to be a fire sale and they're going to try to trade and get value wherever they possibly can and build for the future. And uh detmers i think is a really really intriguing arm he's only 24 years old um he does if you look at his numbers right now the the full scale of his numbers he has a 4.77 era so i know most fans would go whoa whoa like you're gonna trade um one of a top prospect which i I think it probably would take uh potentially a roman anthony type prospect to maybe get a reed detmers um but in July, he had a 3.770. All right. He's had a little bit of a rough go. Um, but he has a ten point one K per nine. So he you know, he can really strike hitters out. Uh, he's got a great breaking ball with a mid nineties fastball. Uh, but if you look deeper into his stats, he he's had three earner less in eighteen of his twenty six starts. So it's like the starts that have been bad, they've kind of gotten away from him, but he's been pretty consistent when he when he's on and he's on often, he's really, really good. Um, and what I like about Detmers is he has four years of team control. So he's a lefty, four years of control, so you can really lock him in there for a, a minimum of a number three spot in the rotation. Um, I, I just, I think this is a, a type of move that I want them to, to do. I don't know if Detmers is necessarily the guy, but you have to trade some of these prospects for pitching. They cannot solve the – pitching problems just on the free agent market they that would put them way over the luxury tax and frankly it would put them way over the luxury tax for future years so a trade is necessary and if you're going to trade prospects you got to get a guy with team control with a bunch of years so Detmers to me he's a former top 25 prospect in baseball i just think there's a lot more left for him to he's kind of like Bayo he he's made strides but he's got more to go um, and, uh, he's a guy I've, I've been watching a lot of, and, uh,
0: I'd be intrigued. Terry, any thoughts on Reed Detmers?
1: I don't love it.
2: Um, we need at least two starting pitchers, I would say, and ideally three. I mean, you got Bayo. You'll probably still have Pavetta. I mean, he could be trade bait. Who knows? I think he's got, uh, I think, maybe just one more year control left. And who am I missing? If Houck's a starting pitcher, I mean, you have him. I mean, that's going to be, that's like the ninth wonder of the world right now, whether or not he's a starter or a reliever. He looked really good today. Um, but I just feel like it's a risk. And, you know, we need more of the sure thing. I mean, if it works out, great I'd hate to give up a Roman Anthony for for a guy like him but um but we'll see
0: yeah I have to see what the package looks like you know in terms of the final packet like giving up Roman Anthony for Reed Detmers I know you know the pedigree on him is great you know former top prospects left-hander um has good stuff but Man, he he really has regressed a lot, and you can chalk that up to him being stuck in LA. A lot of pitchers don't do well there, so I get that. But a lot of pitchers haven't done great here either. You know, it's it's not like the Red Sox are the Dodgers where you could say, "Well, just bring him over here, we'll we'll fix him." I, I'm not con- convinced of that. And yes, he's young, but doesn't mean that he's worth trading. You know, a guy like Roman Anthony for now, if the package is. Blaze Jordan and a couple of lower level guys, I'm it, right? Because we've talked about Blaze Jordan in the past. There's no path for him to the major leagues, at least not right now, unless you're going to DH somebody. Um, so I think that's a guy that could be expendable. You know, Angels could definitely use some some corner infield help for sure. Um, but if it's like Blaze Jordan and Roman Anthony and something else, might be a little too rich for my blood, for, at least for Reed Detmers. I just. You know, I, I, I might not be willing to give up Roman Anthony in a deal like that.
1: I, I don't disagree. And I'm not saying I would 100% pull the trigger on that. Um, but I do think the Red Sox will have to give up something significant if they want to get a really good pitcher with team control. Like, I, I'm not saying Reed Detmers is a really good pitcher, but he has that team control part. And I just I, I think if you're going to get either the team control or a really good pitcher, you're going to have to give up something. Um, and maybe Detmers isn't the guy, but I mean I, I envision like an offseason of like being super aggressive, go out, get Yamamoto, Montgomery, trade for Detmers. Like, I think that's what this team needs. They need like two or three impact arms. And I'm not like Detmers would not be my only guy I'd want, but that's the type of offseason that if the Red Sox are really serious about competing in 24, they need multiple arms. I, I think if you go into the season with you know, Hauk or Pavetta as your number five, that's fine. But the other four got to be pretty good. And you got to feel confident that they can go five, six, seven innings. Like I just, you need four guys and this team hasn't had two guys. (laughs) So uh, that's the type of off season that if they're really serious about competing, that's what I envision.
0: Okay. I'm bad. Terry, who's, uh, who's your guy that you would go after?
2: I'll I'll get to him in a second. Uh, It's a starting pitcher. And I just want to go through some some starting pitchers who I don't want first. And this list is very underwhelming, by the way. You've got, let's see, uh, I'm not going in any particular order other than from top to bottom on this list. Uh, So if Lucas Giolito could be had cheap, I would take the flyer. And I I know there's at least one of you that's going to disagree, and, and that's fine. But he's 29, and I, I just think he's, he's fixable with the right coaching staff. Uh, going down the list, I mean, Andrew Heaney, uh, Brad Keller actually could be interesting. I didn't realize he was a free agent. Uh, you've got Michael Lorenzen, Seth Lugo, Lance Lynn. Uh, Going down a little further, Charlie Morton, if Atlanta doesn't snag him, is going to be a free agent. I'm not sure I'd be too keen on that at his age at this point. Aaron Noah is one of the bigger names out there. Uh, Going down further, Eduardo Rodriguez, I don't think he'd come back to Boston. Blake Snell is probably the biggest name other than Noah. Going to win a Cy Young this year. I just don't, he's very finicky. You know, he's up and down. His durability isn't great. And all we have is a bunch of guys that aren't durable. So I'm not going to drink the punch on him. And there's other uh, Marcus Stroman. No, thank you. David Price 2.0. Um, I just I'm just not into them. So I'm going to go with a guy I thought I was going to stay off of. And it's the guy everybody's talking about. Everybody wants him. Yoshinomu. Yoshinobu. Excuse me. Yamamoto and the bummer about this is he's he's the best pitcher on the market this winter he is the best pitcher out there and every team that wants an ace is going to be in on him the reason why they're in on him he's got a career 1.94 era in japan He's got a career 0.85 whip. He's won the Pacific League MVP in Japan twice. He's won the E.G. Sawamura Award also twice. That's basically the equivalence of the Cy Young Award. He's won the Triple Crown two times. I mean, when was the last time there was a, a pitching prospect or or I should say a pitcher out of Japan that was as heralded as he is other than Otani. And and I think Yamamoto is probably better than Otani uh, from a pitching standpoint. Uh, He's not the two-way player, obviously. but So I think that's the big splash move, and this fan base is craving a big splash. When this new executive comes in, and we're all sizing him up, like what's the vision, what's, you know, what's the ideology of this guy, making a splash like uh, Yamamoto, I think would would really invigorate the fan base uh in a way that, I mean, we haven't been united since, you know, 2018, so... I think that's the guy that we have to go for how much he'll cost i have no idea i'm guessing over 200 and he's gonna have a posting fee on top of that
0: micah thoughts on yamamoto
1: yeah i'm all on board um on top of that terry i think what makes him super intriguing i think to me it's the number one factor He just turned 25 years old. Every guy you named, every guy you named on that list is like 29 or older. And the fact that you could get a guy 25 and like for pitching, that's like prime years because you really don't, you're, when you get a guy who's 30 years old, you're, for what he did in his age 24 to 29 years or whatever like you're not hoping you get that same type of production for the next five years maybe the next two years of the deal for ages 31 32 but these pitchers break and for Yamamoto to be 25 you know even if you sign him to an eight year deal or something like that because I do think it could be years wise I think it could be seven or eight I think that would probably make sense Um, And then, you know, if you get five or six really good years, you take that and run, you know? I mean, that just, it's so intriguing. The stuff is there. He he has a really good split. I just, everything is pointing to him being the guy to really anchor a staff. And boy, oh boy, does this staff need anchoring. And uh, I mean, there would probably be, just like we've seen with Senga, um, the transition to you know pitching you know on five days or four days rest for your fifth day could be a little bit of a challenge for for Japanese pitchers, but man, the stuff just seems so good, and I really think that's the guy. But I'm sure Steve Cohen is saying that's the guy, you know, um, with Otani out um, and not pitching this year, and the fact that the Dodgers are losing Urias and Gonsolin just had Tommy John surgery. I'm sure Friedman is saying that's the guy. So, you know, do I feel better that Heim Bloom is out of there because the biggest deal he ever gave was Corey Kluber? <laughs> you know, I feel a whole lot better, you know, knowing he's not going to be the guy pursuing Yamamoto, but even if the Red Sox make a fantastic offer, it still might not be enough. He may not want to come to Boston. Um there there's a lot of factors that go into this, but Terry, I think you are 100%. If there is the guy, it's him.
0: The injuries to Otani, um, the situation with Urias and the fact that Aaron Nola had his worst career year really hurts the Red Sox in the pursuit of Yamamoto because if not for Otani going down, he's the main focus of every big market team in free agency. Um, And then if it's not him, you know, then it's a toss up between Yamamoto and Julio Urias. And I think a lot of teams would have gone with Urias because he's a proven product. He can pitch over here. He's a lefty, which is a little bit more valuable still under the age of 30, but obviously with what he did, he's off the market. Now Aaron Nola probably would have slid behind Yamamoto in terms of priorities for teams, you know, age 30 doesn't throw hard. And of course with his year that he just had, his value tanked, so now the problem the Red Sox are going to run into is Yamamoto is the prize. If you're looking for starting pitching this offseason, it's Yamamoto or bust. Because those other guys you mentioned, they're reclamation projects, the Giolitos of the world, the you know guys like that. It's just Andrew Heaney, like they're all too old. They're all a little bit washed up, and they're all you know you're taking a flyer on them, and you're hoping that they rediscover something. Yamamoto is the one guy that has a chance to be a frontline starter for many years to come, given his age and his pedigree. Do I want the Red Sox to go after him? 100%. Get into the bidding war. Again, the owners have to be willing to do it. But if they are, absolutely. You know, he's good friends with Yoshida. Like, have Yoshida play the recruitment game. Get him over here because the Yankees will be involved. The Mets will be involved. The Dodgers will be involved. There will be some other dark horse teams, too. The Giants have a lot of money to spend. They're on the West Coast, so they have that appeal. Seattle might be in the mix as well. The, you know, Their GM's always looking to shake up the team every year that they fall a little bit short, which it looks like they will this year again. San Diego will probably be involved. So you're going to have a lot of competition. The Cubs are always there, too. But you know, if the Red Sox just go that little bit of an extra mile, they could get them it's just a matter of whoever the new CBO is. Do you have, you know, do you have the guts to, to, go that far to win a bidding war for a starting pitcher coming out of Japan? A lot of guys don't want to do that. A lot of guys don't want to go that far, but if you can find the guys willing to do it, absolutely go get Yamamoto because it's the one thing this team needs. They need pitching more than anything else. So, you know, it's, it's why we're all bringing up pitchers right now. It's just, that's your main focus. So, I just think with him, he's, he, he'd be a slam dunk. And if all it costs you is money, why not do it? You're not talking about having to trade prospects for this guy. You just have to pay money. And, you know, as a fan, who cares about the owner's money? You shouldn't. It's their money, not yours. Like, don't worry about it. So if all it comes down to his money, there's no excuse for the Red Sox not to get him. If it turns out that he really wants to be on the West Coast because he wants to be closer to Japan, then nothing you can do about that. Right. That's just, you know, you're, you're not going to win that battle. But, you know, I think that same rumor came out about Kodai Senga and he went to New York. So, you know, these guys will go where the money is. They're not all just obsessed with being on the West Coast and being closer to Japan. A lot of them will just, say, hey, you got the biggest contract? Yeah. I'll go play there. No problem. So if it turns into that, no excuse for the Red Sox not to get him.
2: Do you think, well, let me say this first. It, I mean, if his number like gets into Garrett Cole territory, I'm probably out at that point. But I mean, if it's mid to upper twos, uh, that's probably about my limit. And I don't think the posting fee counts towards the luxury tax, but um, but that that's my limit. But on the other hand, do you think, given Shohei Otani's UCL injury, which generally would lead to Tommy John again. He just had it two or three years ago, I think, three, three or four years ago, I should say. um Do you think at this point Yamamoto might be more coveted than even Otani? Because he might be, I think.
0: I think because of his age and because of the fact that he's doesn't have a ticking time bomb for elbow. Yeah, he might be. Otani will always have the draw of the you know. When he's healthy, best two-way player in the game. But he's not healthy. I mean, he may he may never be able to pitch again, or at the very least, if he does, it's going to be a while. And Otani's several years older; he's already approaching thirty. Yamamoto's not there yet, and he's healthy. And I I just I think pitching will always be a little bit more valuable than hitting because you can find hitting anywhere, but when you you know it's harder to find that true ace. So, yeah, I think his value might just be a little bit higher.
1: Um, I disagree on that one. I think Otani is way more valuable because, I mean, he practically is the king of Japan. And if you put Otani on the Red Sox, all of a sudden your jersey sales just go through the roof and the marketing goes through the roof. Even if he doesn't pitch, like if he just hits, he could hit, He could probably break Aaron Judge's record if he just focuses on hitting. Like I just think he has established himself as just an incredible player um, on both sides. Um, Yes, the injury you might lose the first year essentially or the first couple months, but I just think he is just must-watch TV because of what he's done. Um, Do I think Yamamoto for the next year and moving forward would probably be more valuable? to the Red Sox? Yeah, because they need pitching. They don't really need... I mean, not that they don't need a guy who could hit 50-plus home runs. They could absolutely use that, but they just need pitching in the worst way. But in terms of putting fans in the stands, I I don't think Yamamoto comes close to Otani on that one. I think it's Otani, and it's by a landslide.
2: I I hope you're right. I hope you're right, because then maybe maybe that takes some of the attention off of Yamamoto, but, um, but it's a weird market though. I mean, it's the last winter into, into this year's trade deadline, just nothing's predictable.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a strange market, particularly when it comes to the starting pitching, um, heading into this winter with everything that's happened just within the, the last month to some of those guys. So, Um, Which is why, for my guy, I'm not going on the free agent market. I'm going to target starting pitcher that they would have to trade for. Um, I'm going after Corbin Burns. Uh, Corbin Burns has two years left. He's a free agent, 2025. Um, Obviously, things are not going well for him in Milwaukee. They've had disagreements over arbitration hearings. He's not happy about not having a contract extension. Milwaukee's always that team that people pick for the NL central Oh, this is the year they're, they're going to take that next step forward. And they never seem to be able to do it. And they've had Burns and Woodruff and uh, Peralta at the front of their rotation for so long. They just haven't been able to crack the NL central, which is not a good division. It's actually a pretty bad division, maybe one of the worst in baseball. So at some point, Milwaukee's going to want to shake things up. I have a feeling they know they're not going to be able to keep Corbin burns. So They will definitely take calls. Now, the difficulty here is it's going to be a bit to get them. You you are going to have to give up some prospects. I think realistically, I would offer them Miguel Blaze, Blaze Jordan, and then I would offer them one of Tanner Houck, Garrett Whitlock, maybe Pavetta, whatever they want to supplement their own rotation with the loss of Burns, but... I think it's going to take something like that. Miguel Blaze is your number 5 prospect. So that's that's the starting point. You're you're looking at starting there Blaze, Jordans your number 12. The reason I picked those guys in particular. Miguel Blaze is a right-handed hitting outfielder. He's 19 years old. He's still in high A right now. So he's a ways away from the majors. Roman Anthony is also 19 years old. He's already in Double A. So right there you've got an outfielder that's tracking ahead of Miguel Blaze. Willier Abreu is already here and looks like he can play. You know, whether there's a spot for him or not, I don't know, because you've already got Yoshida. You've got Duvall's going to leave, but Duran should take over in center. You've got Verdugo on right. Willi Abreu is making an ascent. Sedan Rafaela is making a case to be in the starting outfield next year. Your outfield is so crowded that you can afford to give up a guy like Miguel Blaze. And again, the reason I picked him is he's a right-handed hitter. Milwaukee's outfield is very lefty heavy right now. It's Yelich, it's Garrett Mitchell, it's Sal Frelick. So their outfield is also crowded with lefties. They've got the same problem the Red Sox do. They need some right-handed bats. Now, Miguel Blaze is a couple years away, but they've got Christian Yelich's bad contract that they're stuck with for a while too. By the time they're out from under that, Miguel Blaze might be ready. So I think that would be appealing to them. Blaze Jordan is also appealing. They need help at corner infield. They need help at third base and first. He can play either one. Again, right-handed power bat, too, something Milwaukee doesn't have and hasn't had for quite some time. So I think those are two prospects they would be very interested in. And then, yeah, you take your pick. Which one do you want, Tanner Houck or Garrett Whitlock? One of those guys to, you know, fill the spot that's going to be left by Corbin Burns. They would probably pick Tanner Houck, but... Who knows? They might want Wintlock. They may even want Pavetta just for the innings or just the reliability. I don't know. But that's sort of the package I'm sending. I'm sending Miguel Blaze, Blaze Jordan, and one of your major league established starting pitchers not named Brian Bayo. I would start with that, and I'd see if they would bite on it. So, Micah, you let me know. Am I crazy? Is that, is that you know not going to happen at all, or do you think it's realistic? What do you think?
1: I don't think it's crazy at all. I mean, Burns is, he's an ace. <laughs> he's an ace, and I, I think you're 100% that the the Brewers don't have a lot of leverage because if they're going to trade him, it would be now. Now, I'm just looking on the baseball reference page, and this always confuses me, so I'm not saying, I, I, I want to make sure I'm reading it right. It says free agent 2025, so does that mean he's, I always get confused with this. Does that mean he's one a free agent? Headed, Just one, he has one more year. Yeah, that's all he's, he has.
0: He's yeah, he's arb three in twenty
1: twenty four. Okay, so that he would essentially be like a not a rental but a rental because he has one year. So, uh, I mean, I, I think the package you put together. I mean, I, maybe it's not as MLB ready because of how far away Bly's is, but um, it, it's intriguing. Like, I, I think. I, I would only trade those prospects with the idea that Corbin Burns would then sign an extension. I, I don't want like I think that would be have to be an automatic because you don't trade away, you know, a top five prospect like Blyce, and then you say, Well, we'll try to keep Burns. Like you have to. Um, and maybe he wants to test the market and see what he's worth. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. But that would be kind of a must for me. But that's intriguing. Like, that's really, really intriguing. And I don't know what the Brewers could get when they have no bar, no leverage and he has one more year. So, like, they have to trade him now or they have to wait to the deadline. And who knows how much value you're really going to get at the deadline. I, we've seen it kind of diminish over the years. So, I feel like this is probably their best chance to get the most from out of him. Um, in terms of right-handed hitters for the Brewers, They do have the number two prospect Jackson Churio. I don't know if he is a right-handed hitter or not, but I was just wondering that because I know he is in double a he's, I think just a couple months older than uh, Roman Anthony. Um, But he is going to probably in the big, be in the big leagues next year. And I was just wondering if he's a righty or lefty. I don't know the answer to that one.
0: So Churio is a righty. Um, He he is a right-handed hitting outfielder. So, that could factor into it. And I should have pointed out that my plan here is that you're getting Corbin Burns on an extension after the trade. Like I would offer him like the Kevin Gaussman type of contract, you know, the five-year deal, five-year extension after you trade for him, something like that. So that's, yeah, that's part I figured
1: of. that's what you were you were thinking. And I mean, I would honestly go bigger than Gaussman because to me, Burns has had a much more impactful and consistent run than Gosman did. Gosman had that one year in San Francisco basically that really put him on the map um, and got him that deal. So, I mean, I, I would go bigger than that with Burns, but um, I mean, if you get Burns and then you can somehow lower Yamamoto to come to, to Boston, all of a sudden you have a ridiculous one, two with, um, with Bayo as your number three, like then we're talking like all of a sudden that changes the comp- the, the outlook completely on this roster so i don't think you're crazy with burns is it a little risky maybe but I, I just feel like we've been with this last couple years there's been such little risk that i'd be willing to take a shot on corbin burns
0: Terry, what do you think
1: i don't have a problem with that
2: at all Uh, with any of the names mentioned, I think you would have to have an extension already in place. You can basically negotiate that before the trade is even consummated. Um, So I think that's what we're looking at. I think he's going to be worth a lot more than Gosman, though. I think you're looking at upper 100s to lower 200s to get a guy like Corbin Burns. The one thing I'm, I'm looking at right now that is slightly concerning with him go back to 2021 his strikeout per nine he led the league that year uh in in that category 12.6 then last year 2022 it drops to 10.8 this season it's 9.1 so i just hope he's not on like the james paxton uh shane bieber program you know what i mean so we'll see. But, I mean, he's still, you know, I mean, his, he's still getting guys out. Uh, guys aren't getting on base at, um, you know, a, a tough clip. Uh, he led the league last year. and No, he's leading the league right now in, in whip, I guess, uh, at 1.05. So guys aren't, you know, getting on base uh, despite the, the decline in strikeouts. But again, I mean, that's a guy with an ace pedigree and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say no. Let me ask you guys just one thing, just unrelated to everything. You've got some, you've got some major league um, excess or expendable guys on the roster to trade Verdugo. One of them. I think Josh Winkowski is a very good, you know, sell high guy after a good year because his numbers, his opponents, as of a couple days ago, are hitting him. At, the batting average against him is 280, despite a really low ERA. And the whip is close to 150, which is really high. So uh, he's an interesting sell-high candidate if a team's willing to bite and perhaps they think they can fix him. Maybe the next next year's pitching coach will will improve on those but let me ask you if this guy's tradable, and perhaps the Brewers aren't the best dance partner, but maybe someone else will be. Would you sell on Yoshida after one season, giving our lefty problem? I mean, I think he's an attractive bat. And you free up a little bit of money as well. So I'm just saying he's not untouchable to me. I I, I came to like Yoshida, but... I'm uncomfortable with the streakiness. I'm uncomfortable with the number of days off that he seems to require. Um, on the flip side, could he be an October God? Maybe. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, you know, what makes me okay with keeping him. But I think you can get away with it. And you got a lefty problem. Even after you trade Alex Verdugo, you have a lefty problem still. You got a Abreu and Duran, who I think you can only keep one of
0: yeah and Yoshida is the oldest of all the guys in that outfield oddly enough so um and yeah like the streakiness is a concern the fact that he's still kind of not used to playing a full 162 schedule is concerning now that's something he can build up to but you know is he ever going to build up to that or is he always going to be the guy that needs two days off here and there to kind of rebuild his strength and get back in the lineup um you know, I I don't know. I, would I take phone calls on Yoshida? Yes, I obviously. I, I think the only guy on this, you know, the major league roster you don't take phone calls on is like Devers, or you know, or in your system like Marcelo Mayer. I yeah, trade Bayo. Bayo. <laughs> yeah, like Bayo too. I agree. I wouldn't. I wouldn't take calls on him. Casas yeah. too. I'm. I'm yeah. not trading. Cossus. I wouldn't either. Casas probably not. Yeah. yeah. But apart from those guys, I'm picking up the phone for pretty much anyone else you know, Duran, you know, any of those guys. Yeah. So I don't think it's out of the question.
2: I'm just wondering, I think there's value. So, but go ahead, Micah.
1: There's a part of me that is really intrigued to see what Yoshida can do in year two. I mean, it's just such a big adjustment to come over to the United States and play such a long season, but at the same time he is, I think next year will be his age 31 season. So, like Jason said, is is he really going to ever get fully built up to that when he is in his low 30s? I don't know, but I I think Yoshida is a perfect guy to have as like your fourth option in a lineup. Um, so if you have Devers, Casas, maybe one more guy, I, I, I don't like him hitting middle of the order. I never liked him hitting fourth. Um, he's not a three-hole hitter. If he hits two or five or six, I really like that um i if you trade yoshida does that automatically rule out any other any chance of getting yamamoto like would that in, would that impact that i don't know i mean that could just be a you know a coincidence that you know he come like if he goes does yamamoto come in i i don't know i feel like that would be kind of weird but uh, it's interesting
0: yeah i mean again i i think they'll have a lot to consider you know whoever the new guy is he's going to be fielding a lot of phone calls and hopefully making a lot of phone calls. So um, I think he's got a lot of different directions. He can go a lot of guys that he could potentially sell on um, apart from the ones that we mentioned, hopefully, but yeah, um, definitely going to be an interesting off season. We'll see if any of these names that we just mentioned come up. Um, It could be different names as well. We'll see. It's going to be quite a ride, but we'll be with you guys for the full thing. So with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. Uh, we will be predicting the Blue Jay series this weekend. So we'll be giving our predictions for that. Keep an eye out for that. And then the weekend crew will have you guys on Monday to recap that very Blue Jay series. So, till then, everyone, take care.